I'm, Here we go. <laughs> oh, so good to have your company. Welcome along to What's the Chat with me, John Wood, and... Uh- Myself, Alison Craig. And uh, yeah, how, how have you been, John Boy? That's not, not too week bad this week, but hold on, wait a minute. Hold your horses. Uh, 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 Whose uh. book is number one in Apple? Hello. Oh, I know, I'm so excited. I couldn't quite believe it, actually. Yes, my first book, New Beginnings at the Birdie and Bramble, set in St Andrews in a failing restaurant with all sorts of fun, frivolity and romance. Uh, yeah, it's number one in Apple. It's very exciting. And my second book is number two. Whoa! Can't be that, can't be that. Anyway, on today's show, we've got a special guest, Al. We do. We've got Kenny Kemp coming on. Now, Kenny is a ghostwriter. He has written uh, a book with uh, Richard Branson, an award winner. He's going to be telling us what it was like to be staying in Necker Island with the man himself. There is drink involved, but hey, who you would expect that because Kenny is a friend of John's. And our chat with Kenny goes on longer than normal. So we've tagged on the whole interview to the end of the podcast today. So it all goes on a little bit longer than you would expect, but very interesting stuff. Here's something rather exciting. I wasn't sure if you would be clarted mayonnaise today or not, John, because apparently Rod Stewart is all over the press this week talking about the fact that mayonnaise is what he's been using in his hair for all these years to get that sort of roughy, tufty Rod Stewarty look, mayonnaise. And now the experts are saying, well, maybe that's why he's still got a head of hair because there's so much protein in the mayonnaise, they're reckoning. Oh. And he's, yes, so, I mean, I'm just saying, get oh. your helmets out and slap it on your head. Get your helmets out. There you go. Get, there. Yeah. <laughs> I get in enough trouble. <laughs> what are you doing, darling? Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> well, talk, talking about baldness, my father told me a story when he was uh, in the hospital. He was getting a varicose vein job done. And next to him was a, a very nice Polish gentleman who had a fantastic sense of humour. And um, my dad was going bald at that time, and he must have been in his 30s. Or, and it was it was one of these times where he went, oh, God, God, stop this. What can, I, what can I do to stop the baldness? Mm-hmm. And he had a chat with this Polish gentleman who said, have you tried raw onions? He says, what? He says, yeah, if you get a raw onion, half it, and rub it on your head, it'll help produce hair, right? So instead of people bringing flowers and chocolates into the ward, <laughs> people were bringing onions. And my dad's up the corner, rubbing it furiously, bald head in front of the mirror, rubbing away like anything. Not one hair grew. Oh, Polish the- guy left the hospital, tears of laughter, best <laughs> joke he's ever played on anybody. Oh, bless him. My dad went in to get an operation in his uh, tummy back in the day in the 70s and he arrived in and uh, the doctor said to him, Mr. Craig, you're only going to be in for a couple of nights as he you know, took this absolutely massive bag in with him. And Dad said, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. It's for my friends, he said, and opened the bag and it was full of tenth lager. <laughs> They'll be needing a drink when they come in to visit me. So that was him, yeah. Well, they used to give out alcohol in the hospital. Um, Like, it used to be, my grandfather was in, and my wife was talking about this. They used to give, like, a Guinness or a sweet stout. That's right, especially for pregnant women in Ireland, they would be given Guinness because of the, uh, you're right, Right. because of the iron. I'm just thinking that, you know, I'm just thinking, what a good reason to get some Guinness. And I've just written it down on my wee pad here, and I'm going to get some for iron purposes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to have to start looking at non-alcoholic lager, I really am. (laughs) Well, actually, Heineken non-alcoholic lager is quite nice. I've I've tried that that one. There's a few other ones that are on Facebook. I think I might try some of them, actually. Yeah, but you, you can't drink them when they're in Facebook, 
problem is you've got to get them into your house. That's right up the cloud. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah. the Morrisons, as I like to call it, uh-huh. has a section of non-alcoholic lager and beer. Oh, does it? Yeah, well, it's definitely worth trying them because, yeah, I'm the same. I've been, uh, well, I, I inherited a meal on Saturday night from the Scottish Whiskey Society because mm. uh, friends of ours had ordered it and there was extra, two extra portions. So they said, you know, would you and Dave like it? <laughs> what do you oh, think? Hello. Lovely. So uh, the food was great, I have to say. and uh, But it came with uh, tasting of whiskies to go with each course. Oh, danger. Bloody rocket fuel deluxe. Danger, that. My danger. God, after the starter, I was eight sheets to the wind. It's amazing you go from matching wines to matching whiskey. You think, okay, what's the next? Matching turpentine with your starter. <laughs> Paint stripper right. with the main course. That's where I started. Crusoe a... with a dessert. <laughs> Crusoe? Oh, my God, you're a class <laughs> bird. I'll tell you, I remember uh, Crusoe in my dad's fence. It well, can, you know when you just, I was just going to say, as soon as you say that word, I can smell it. You know, know what I mean? It, it was, was such a strong... Well, I don't know if it was great, but it was certainly strong and memorable. It was Smells like, are very evocative, though, yeah. aren't they? It, was, it, it yeah. was like tar. Uh-huh. Tar macadam was a wee bit like chrysot as well. That's right, that's right. Yeah, you don't smell tar very much anymore. No. You? you used to drive over, well, probably roadworks, and, and there was always a waft of tar round and about, you can. I know, I love the wee... It used to be good for mm. a cold. You used to chase the trucks if you had a cold and sniff it in. And it <laughs> really? Yes. Funny, funny, funny man you are sometimes, I think. What a funny man. Some might say a weirdo, but I would just say an unusual okay, sort of character. Kind of yes, but you're very well, well said. Did I tell you? Mm. I, don't know. I went along to the Blue Parrot and we had a carryout from the Blue Parrot, Mexican <laughs> Cantina in 16th Street. <laughs> to die for. Two ceviches to start with, two rice, two salads, salsa, guacamole, cream, chicken chimichanga, fish, I'm going to go, my stomach's rumbling. God, what are you, a temptress? Unbelievable. Thank you for that. Honestly, nothing's going to do now for my lunch apart from a margarita. Get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat podcast at gmail.com. Well, it's mayhem here because, of course, my dear husband, the long-suffering one, is getting uh, how he's ready to reopen because they are flinging the doors open as soon as they're allowed. And, uh, yeah, we're just working on the menus, working on the, you know, all the excitement, all the new, we've got put up new glass screens so that when you are sitting inside, you can be sitting right next to someone. You don't need to be socially distanced because you've got a glass screen between you. So So can you do that with your wife then? Can you do that? Yes, you could do that. Yeah, well, that's Dave and I have been practicing that for quite some time in the house. It's working quite well. I'm going to book a table outside for the next six weeks so that I, uh, I'll i be there every day, like some sort of Oliver Reed character in the corner going, another, another bottle, please. And I've seen people I haven't <laughs> seen for months. <laughs> and months, well, years, actually, like a year. Oliver Reed hand-wrestling sailors that just seem to pop by. <laughs> hand-wrestling sailors? That's how he died. What? That's how he like d- yeah, he was on a bevy, right? Uh-huh. And he was now he was Shot filming gladiators, not. right? Uh-huh. Remember he was filming gladiators. Oh, yeah, he died yeah, halfway through right. the movie. Yeah, and what that. happened was he was in the local bar and a whole load of sailors came in off the ship. He was in the bar, they got chatting away, they started all to arm wrestle and got absolutely steaming. 
and then later on he he popped his clogs. Unfortunately, no. he was the last big British eccentric, really, when you think about it. You know, there's he was, nobody he was else a, like no, that. I know, no, he was. And I saw him this week on Oliver because he played Bill Sykes in That's Oliver. That's right, and he was brilliant Great. in it. He was, brilliant. yeah. A friend of mine had to look after him when they were making a film down the borders, and she was uh, she was just starting off in the film industry, and her job was basically almost like babysitting him. You know, so yeah. she had to check in with him first thing in the morning and be by his side basically to stop him disappearing into a bar. So anyway, this particular morning she went to whatever the wee hotel was down the borders. Um, I'm here for Mr. Reed. Oh, Mr. Reed's not been here. When? Oh, God. So she had to go literally walking up and down the street looking for him, going into all the shops, into all the no. pubs. Have you seen him? I was in here half an hour ago. Anyway, um, she went into the butcher and she said, you've not seen uh, Oliver Reed. And they went, oh, yeah, he was here about half an hour ago. They said, what, what do you know? Well, he bought himself some uh, about half a dozen sausages and then he just went outside and ate them. Raw. <laughs> Just ate them raw, and then off he went, careering back. Anyway, she eventually did find him and, you know, dragged him off back to the set. But, I mean, he was some boy. And when he was married, him and his wife had an argument. So he went out into the garden with all her jewellery and buried it when he was, you know, he'd had a skinful. And they never, ever found that again. So eventually the house was sold and they never found the jewellery. So one day somebody will dig that up. Some, you know, I think it was a big house and estate in Ireland that they were living in at the time. Well, listen, cast your mind back because we actually interviewed them. It was you and I and we phoned up the hotel and he was in the background just shouting away all the time. Well, I got any interview at all, because it was out his face. And it was his, his basically PR guy that we chatted away to. And he's going, I'll come on my That's all you got. That was, that was ages ago. That's what Michael Parkinson got. And, you know, and he was sitting in his oh, chair right opposite him. That oh, was, geez. yeah, that was a sign. Came out with a jug of orange juice and started to do a yeah. Billy Idol song, didn't he? Oh, I know. Oh, no. God, it was such a cringe. Though. That was just, that's a shame, wasn't it? You just thought, oh. Brilliant actor, though. Shame, Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Woman in Love. Was he in you, Woman in Love? Yeah. The naked wrestling scene in front of the fire. Yes. I've tried that. I've burnt Mars. Yeah. <laughs> what, with Oliver Reed? Yeah. That was Billy. Oh, that's good to see. Billy Lee Falker. <laughs> wasn't Jimmy Reed the TUC man, was it? No, no, no. There will be no swearing. There will no, be there no be. drinking. Remember that speech? It was brilliant. brilliant no, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, that was he addressed uh, the members because he said, you know, the, 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 I think what was happening was they were buying over the shipyard themselves. And he said, the world press will be on us. And his famous speech was, there will be no drinking. There will be no... And it was just like laying down the law and stuff like that. I actually remember playing, talking about TUC guys. I remember I got a phone call uh, saying, Thursday afternoon, what are you doing? I says, well, I'll finish school then. He says, right, get up to the the, uh, the hotel. I've got a gig for you. You're on drums, sax player, keyboard player, and uh, you're playing at the lunch, uh, just... Just, just after, just about four or five o'clock. It's a miners' convention, and uh, this guy came up to us and went, uh, "Have you got your union cards?" And then he burst out laughing. It was Mick McGahey. Oh my god! And he bought yes. us a drink. What an orator! What a charming! Oh, what was a, oh, he? Oh, oh, he was a character. Great voice, you spotlight. Great voice. <laughs> I do. Great I remember voice. the voice. Funnily, yeah. I think he was probably a oh, Mike Yarwood. A uh, yeah. You could just <laughs> you, when you were in his presence. You know how some people you just go. Oh, yeah, he's got power. He's got power. Charisma. Yeah, yeah. Well, I met uh, Michael Heseltine, actually, when Ooh, I was I was in my late 20s. Great and, hair. Uh, great hair. Well, you see, it's bad to the hair again. He, no, yeah. he did have great hair, but there was something about him. I mean, I, I don't know anything about politics. I don't get involved with politics. 
But there was something about him. He had an aura about him, just a natural yeah. animal kind of magnetism, a sort of, um, what's the word you use when somebody's very charismatic? Charismatic, yeah. yeah. Very charismatic. And I'll tell you who else was like that, surprisingly, because I was fairly determined that I wasn't going to like him. It was Gordon Ramsay. Really? Yes. And I remember saying to him, I interviewed him on uh, this chat show thing that I was doing. And I remember saying to him, what's this, you know, you're saying that no woman should be in the kitchen. That was the scandal at the time. He'd come out with some, you know, sort of 1950s nonsense. Uh, anyway, he he gave me the answer and I didn't listen to it because I was just thinking, gosh, he's very charismatic. <laughs> so normally you'd be pulling him apart, you know, be going, I think that's absolutely nonsense. Only a sexist swine. But as it was, I was just going, oh, <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, surprising because you think he's got a face like a bulldog tuna wasp, but, but there's something about him. He's got a very strong charisma as well. It's hard to relax when you watch him, though, because, you know, he's just full of energy and he's, you know, he's, he's back and forward. Yeah. And, you know, I quite like Gino. You make, uh, him, sound like, you make <laughs> like him sound a dog, yeah. like a panting dog. <laughs> I like him with I like Gino, Gino and Fred. I like, I like Gino. Gino. That's, that's a good yeah. trio that. Fred's yeah, great as well. Yeah. Do you watch First Date? I, do. I, I do. love Sure. I've got a couple of pals who I would love to set them up on first dates. Of course, they won't have anything to do with it. They're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But they're so good at matching people. And sometimes you see them coming together and you think, no, that's just not going to work. Uh Halfway through the starter, they're in love. I mean, it's, I just, it's fascinating. Oh, I love first dates. Great. Love. So do I. There was a brilliant one last year when this girl, um, I think she'd been in the army and the guy had been in the army as well. And they they were sitting, they obviously got on very, very well. And about halfway through the dinner, she said, you know, I'm going to have to tell you something before we go any further. uh, and he went, yeah, what? And she said, I'm pregnant. So she was actually on first really? date, pregnant. Yeah, and uh, and he went, I don't care. They hit it off big style and they did a sort of flip back, you know, at the end uh-huh. of the series. And the pair of them were, were together and she'd had the baby oh. and he was bringing the baby up as his. And it was just a lovely oh, and unexpected meeting. Yeah. There lovely. was one unexpected one where the girl went to the toilet and left and the guy was on his own. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't your early life? <laughs> yeah, it probably was, actually. Yeah. Somebody was saying to me they watched the repair show the other day. Oh, went, yeah. Oh, that's tear jerking, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, I've never watched it because I yeah. thought to myself, right, I watch Gogglebox, which is other people watching people watching yeah, I like TV. That. I like that, yeah. Uh, and then you've got, you know, people scranning around antique shops or taking up all their old mm. stuff and giving it to Fiona Bruce and her army of antique yeah. exports. Like, do I really want to watch somebody, you know, well, doing it's, up a it's rocking horse? It's not just that. It's the memory of what they yeah. have with a subject. And I you get the whole thinking. story. And of course, they haven't seen that rocking horse in pristine condition since they were a child. Yeah. So as soon as they do the reveal, which is the best part of it, obviously, uh-huh. then you just see them welling up because it yeah. just takes them right back in a time machine to when they were kids. It, it's a very clever and cheap... Yeah. You know, TV, <laughs> yes. let's be honest. You might have hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> I do remember my, my dad took up the fiddle when he was, uh, I don't know, he must have been in his 60s anyway. And uh, it was a bit of a joke in the house. It's like, oh God, dad's practicing the fiddle and everyone would you know, run for cover. Uh, but, you know, he became quite proficient in it, actually. And um, he used to play it, you know, just sitting in the lounge, mm-hmm. playing away. And on his shoulder, he would have our, we used to have a parrot. So he'd have a parrot in the shoulder and be playing his fiddle. And he did look completely mad. But, uh, you know, so that was my memory of him. It was right. always 
good fun. Uh, anyway, the fiddle sat in, um, just for years and years and years. I mean, you know, it's 10, uh, it's more than 10 years since he passed away. But anyway, so the fiddle had just sat there and sat there. And then this friend's sister is a fiddle teacher. So she came round to us one Christmas and uh, she opened it up and um, she played it. And me and my mum just burst into tears. Oh, it was really? just, it was like yeah. a direct uh-huh. contact yeah. to your heart. Yeah. You know, it was so moving. But, well, I have to say she played it a lot better than my dad. <laughs> 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 but nonetheless, it was just the, you yeah. know, the memory, as you say, it was very moving. Talking about that, I remember I had a job in Grays and George Street, oh. uh, which was the I Island Mother. I love that shop. It was. It was like... Um, are you being oh. saved? It was like Grace Brothers. Everything it really in was. it. Yeah, everything it had everything. in it. And I love the smell of an ironmonger. I don't know, oh, you know all the polishes yes. and all the stuff like that. Not so the man, anyway, the actual shop. No, the actual shop. It, yeah, was, yeah. it was a big shop, actually. A fa- it a, was, I remember it. Yeah, got a job there. And guess what the name of the uh, the chief accountant was? <laughs> Mr. Fiddler. <laughs> <laughs> That's the true story. He was the chief accountant. There's a chief accountant. There's a Mr. Fiddler. You, oh, I, oh, I. Oh, right. Well, there was an optician at the end of Union Street. Union Street in Aberdeen is the equivalent of Prince's Street, the main street. And um, it was optician Ian Strain with an E. Really? I Strain. I Strain. <laughs> of all the, the jobs. There used to be a van that went around Edinburgh and uh, the, the, the title, the logo on the van was Just Myself. That was great, you know. I just thought up just myself. I love all these companies that try and play. And oh, there was one I saw. It was a dog walking company. Yeah, it was called We Will Walk You, the Queen of Dog Walkers. (laughs) That was clever. I like. Yeah, yeah. I I like how we play in words myself. Yeah, Yeah, there was a hairdresser called (laughs) Boggied. Well, he would have done a lot of business. (laughs) So, what was the Chinese Uh, one? Sick Tech Fock, it was called. It was a Chinese restaurant <laughs> in Edinburgh. It was. We used to just call it the Sick Tech, you know, but it was It was there for years. We got a funny email uh, from Crawford this week who was saying he enjoyed hearing Kenny Kemp reading out the register. And he said that the amazing thing is he um, could read out the register and he remembered it, but he couldn't remember if it was from primary one or primary two. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fair point. <laughs> but Kenny's got his, his, his memory is absolutely incredible. Um, he was a ghostwriter for Richard Branson, and he's got a few tales about that gentleman. I was a ghostwriter for Business Strip Bear, which became an, an international bestseller. At that stage, there was Ian Rankin and J.K. Rowling and Ma Bruns cookbook, and I was number four. <laughs> So I went off to, to write that book with Richard Branson and I, I went to Necker Island, um, went to his uh, chalet in Verbier, which was quite fun. Did you hit it off? We did. We got on really well, actually. Yeah. And uh, we ended up playing tennis together a couple of times. And I remember one particular night where he, he likes a drink, um, which is good to know. <laughs> and of course, his wife, uh, Joan, she's from Glasgow. It was the same night that Alistair Darling had told him that he was not going to be able to get the Northern Rock Bank. He was really fed up. We were on Nickel Island together. And he said, look, we're going on a pub crawl tonight. Be down at the, the dockside at seven o'clock. And I said, what? Pub crawl? We're on, a, we're on this island in the middle of the Caribbean. What, what do you mean? He says, just get down there. So we got down there about seven o'clock. And we got in the launch and then we went off on a, on a tour of all the little nooks and crannies around the Virgin Islands that he knew, bars and clubs and places that we went to. We got back about four in the morning and I was absolutely gone by that stage. Uh, and he was pretty well gone as well. 
But even with a stinking hangover, he was on the beach about half past seven doing his, his sailing exercises. And, and here's me. Oh, just <laughs> A lightweight but, compared to Mr. Uh, Branson. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I like him a lot. When you're ghostwriting a book like that, says by Richard Branson, uh, you know, do you f- ever feel, you know, a little bit upset uh, that your name's not emblazoned in the front and you're not getting full glory? No, but, but I know all the jokes in the book are my jokes. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> he referred to... Bradford and Bingley as Bradley and Bingford. And he kept doing that all the way through. Kenny actually has written quite a number of books and we did, the conversation went on a bit longer and it was very interesting. So what we decided to do is at the end of this podcast, our normal length of podcast, which is 30 minutes, we're going to tag on the rest of that conversation. So if you want to to listen to it, um, if you've ever wondered about, yeah, ghostwriting and some of the characters he met it's it's fascinating so you can hang on at the end of this for that yeah hang on hang on you're doing nothing anyway let's face it Susan Hampshire was another one I interviewed oh her. you she love her how many times have you mentioned her well it's her, her and Kate O'Mara that's my double act Kate, oh really <laughs> in your dreams literally it is in my in dreams, dreams. Yeah. yeah yeah no I remember you said you dropped your noodles because you sat next to yeah. Kate O'Mara yeah. in the loon Chinese fung it was. the loon fung <laughs> That's right. Not a bit of pronunciations. There was a, a newscaster called Andrew Gardner. I don't know if you remember him. He was on I with uh, he was on at News at Ten with Reginald Bosnikett. That was the first word I ever said. Was it? Apparently, I was sitting in front of the TV and I just went Reginald Bosnikett. That was the first word you said. Yeah, that was That's weird, incredible. didn't it? Was, I mean, anyway, Andrew Gardner. Um, he was being interviewed and he said, "Is there any pronunciations that you get mixed up on?" He says, "Well, there was an African leader." And I could never get his name, but but eventually I got it off pat. I just got it. Every time I saw it, I could go boom, right into it. He says, and I just got it right. And they shot him. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> well, it's like when Jeremy Hunt was the culture secretary. Oh, that was that no. caused an awful lot of trouble at the time, oh, I remember. Oh, no. Somebody said something, lost the plot for about five minutes and then had to apologise and said it again when they were doing the apology. You know, Jeremy Hunt, the culture no. secretary. I love the story. Remember, uh, I think it was Mark Goodyear when he worked at Radio 4 and he was doing the tennis, the Wimbledon tennis. And he was reading, uh, he was he was doing the scores and he didn't understand tennis particularly well, but he said something along the lines of um, Jimmy Connors, 60, 63, 62. And uh, I don't think I've got McEnroe's score, have I? <laughs> <laughs> I remember in the old days in the newsroom, you used to have to go in with your script and you had a whole load of cartridges and they were the cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it was a presidential uh, press conference, the, the tape would have the president on it. And, and you had all these cassettes or cartridges rather going with the scripts in between. Well, one time in the newsroom, the news guy said, just go into the studio and I'll bring the, the carts and I'll bring the scripts to you. And he came in the door and tripped and they were all over the floor. And the newscaster, it was going up to eight o'clock right? and the jingle was playing. The and big news, the big news. Eight, the big news yeah. at eight. And it hit eight. And she leant down and picked up the first story from the floor. It goes, news update at eight. This morning's top story. Lizzie the lizard had escaped <laughs> from Edinburgh Zoo. Meanwhile, in Kuwait, 
Yeah, I remember being up in uh, North Sound and uh, this very good journalist, actually, Andy Stenton. And it was two o'clock in the afternoon. I was doing the afternoon show at the time and it was a really quite a wild day outside. Anyway, similar situation. It was like, you know, that that's such and such. I'll be back after the news right now. It's uh, two o'clock and across... T- Time to go across to Andy Stenton. And it went ding, 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 ding. And Andy went, good afternoon, Andy Stenton, with your news in North Sound at two o'clock. And at that exact moment, lightning hit the transmitter and there was just this big noise. And Andy just went, what the fuck was that? And I oh, went, no, really. you're still on. <laughs> so he continued with the news as if he hadn't said that. And then after the news, I went, thanks very much, Andy. Put on a record and ran through to see him. And he was just lying on the floor of the studio, oh, face no. down in the carpets. Just oh, like... what a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That was the end of your career. No, it wasn't. He's far from it. He did, he's, he's in Australia now, I think, actually. He's a good I'm journalist. Well, I remember him. Mm. I used to do a sports programme and it had such great features as News for Do's, which is a bit pigeon news. Um, <laughs> but one of the things we used to do, we used to cover all sorts of sports, and one of them was bowling. And there was a guy from Edinburgh who was some captain of some team that had won something. And he came into the section <laughs> and we were going to interview him, you know, because I was there. Yeah, went up to get him and there he is. And it's radio. He's got his shirt tie on. He's got all his badges on. Aww. He's got, you know, he's dressed to the nines. So anyway, uh-huh. he was very nervous. Brought him down to the studio and I says, like, we're just going to have a chat. I'll ask you a few questions uh, about the bowling season <laughs> and then that'll be that. So, yeah, yeah, yes, that, that, that'll be fine. So I says, so, Andrew, um, the, the bowling season is just about to kick off again. An exciting time for you. Yes. <laughs> and um, looking forward to some great competitions this year as well. There's going to be... Who, 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 have you, who, who are you going to be playing against? Uh, other teams. <laughs> and, um, I mean, do you get excited, you know, uh, when you're playing? Do you control your nerves okay? Because I mean, you're, you're, you're in some top matches. Yes. Right, we'll take a commercial break there, back with more in-depth interview after this. <laughs> well, talking about art, you have to congratulate the council, Edinburgh Council, or Clownsel, as some people have oh, called dear, them. Why? Well, they're doing a, a beautiful art exhibition around the roads of Edinburgh. It's totally abstract. Uh, they've got bollards, they've got cycling lanes, they've got pedestrian lanes, they have no entry size. They're, it's artwork that you stand there for ages and you go, nah, I just I don't understand it. I don't <laughs> no. understand it. And the best thing is they put in their emails, after consultation with who? An alien? That's what I would like to know. Yeah. <laughs> not with people. It's not with people with a heartbeat, with four limbs and a heartbeat. No, no, it's with someone else. So thank oh. you, Clancy. Thank There was a character, Billy Crystal played him on Saturday Night Live, but he was based on a real character. I think the guy's name was Victor Romaz. It was something similar. The real character was, in fact, a sort of Parkinson-type person. You know, he used to interview the celebrities, but he was a real womanizer, this Victor guy. So on one of the programs, he had Ringo Starr, who was just married to Barbara back at the time. You know? oh, yeah. uh, so he started off the, the interview, and he, was, uh, he, he just says, and now there's young Miss Barbara back in Ringo Star. And they came on, everybody <laughs> clapping himself. Barbara, can I, I just say to you tonight, you, you, you look marvelous. You know, your eyes, your hair, you look marvelous, darling, absolutely marvelous. So for the first, it was a half-hour program, for the first 25 minutes, now, Barbara, I mean, the way you have your hair, how, how do you do your hair? Because, darling, it's marvelous. Hair. And the jewelry, where do you get your jewelry? I mean, beautiful. Darling, you look marvelous, Barbara, absolutely marvelous. 
So five minutes before the interview ends, he turns around to Ringo, and he's only about five minutes, and he goes, well, thank you, Barbara. So, Ringo, um, the Beatles really took off for you, huh? That's all he said. And, and Ringo went, well, yeah, we started it. So we're going to have to finish there. Listen, thank you. And darling, Barbara, you still look marvellous. Love that story. But that was Billy Crystal's like, I can see from your eyes you have the legs of a dancer. Terrible wind. I had a bean-related dinner last night because oh, I watched Sea Spiracy. Have you seen that? No, no. Watch it. It's on Netflix. Right. Watch it. And it's uh, not an easy watch, but honestly, watch it. Oh, I saw a trailer of it. I don't know if I could... Oh. You know you have to watch it. Yeah, right. You owe it to the planet and right. to yourself okay. to watch it. It's that. really... We watched it last night and, um, yeah, it's very affecting and and the message is clear. So watch it. That's all I'll right. say. I will do. I will do. Uh, I will do. But I, anyway, I didn't have any fish last night for my tea. I had beans. Beans. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there, shall we? Uh, okay. Well, that's it for another week. I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm actually off to work out line of duty. Oh, uh, good. I'm trying to work it out, and there's a lot of a lot of nonsense going on there, Al. A lot well, of nonsense. Lot of I'm well behind. I'm well behind. I'm back. I'm on uh, episode three, um, and I have to stop it occasionally and just say, what? "Now, who's that? Where's I know, he? I know. Who was oh, that?" It's going to get worse. It's only oh, going to get worse. Well, but it's great. Well, it's compulsive. Yeah. There is a podcast, um, I think, called "Obsessed with Line of Duty," which you can download. I think on the BBC Sounds app. So yeah, podcast. yeah. This <laughs> This podcast mentions Line of Duty. That's it. The end. So we'll see you next week. <laughs> we will. And if you hang on here, once we've said goodbye this week, you'll hear more from Kenny Kemp, the ghostwriter. He's telling us all about some of the other characters he's met and the really amazing stories that he's heard. So uh, hang on for that if you can, uh, if you've got the time. Uh, but meanwhile, this is a farewell from uh, myself, Alison Craig, and a farewell from you, I think, as well. See you later. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. What's the Chats with Alison Craig and John Woods? Anyway, although we've said goodbye, we're back briefly just to say here's the rest of the interview with Kenny Kemp, which is really interesting. Some traumatic stories he's heard and some of the interesting people he's met. So we'll leave you. We'll speak to you next week. But here's Kenny. Okay? Bye. Business Strip Beer, that was the one that you did with Richard Branson. How did that all come about? Well, I, I'd been a journalist for a number of years. I worked on The Scotsman for 10 years and I, I was a business editor on The Sunday Herald. And I ended up writing a book back in 2003 with a woman called Barbara Cassani, who was a, the woman who created Go, the, the low-cost airline. And I wrote her book with her. We'd never written a book. I'd never written a book at that stage. And uh, she asked me to come and help her. And that book won Business Book of the Year in about 2004, 2005. And after that, I did a couple more books on my own, under my own name. And one of the books I, I did was called Destination Space, where I was writing about space tourism and predicting that Branson would be going into space at some stage. Now, this book was written many, many years ago now. And um, the guys liked it. And I got approached by them to become the ghostwriter of his, one of his um, he, he got a five book, de- five book deal, $10 million deal to write five books. And of course, he needed a ghostwriter to write one of the business books. So I, I, be- I was the ghostwriter for Business Strip Bear, which became an, an international bestseller. And by the time of 2008, 2009, um, when I was, uh, it was Christmas time, I remember looking at the, 
um, I, I said to myself, oh, I'm, I'm probably one of Scotland's biggest um, selling authors, if I count. At that stage, there was Ian Rankin and J.K. Rowling and Ma Bruns' cookbook, and I was number four. <laughs> so, uh, so I was four. <laughs> so, that, that, so I went off to, to write that book with Richard Branson, and I, I went to Nicker Island, um, went to his uh, chalet in Verbier, which was quite fun. And uh, I was at Nicker Island twice, actually, um, and um, and sort of work with them on the book on the the project face to face one to one for so many did, weeks. Did you hit it off? We did. We got on really well, actually. Yeah, and uh, we ended up playing tennis together a couple of times. And I remember one particular night where he, he likes a drink, um, which is good to know. <laughs> and of course, his wife uh, Joan, she's from Glasgow. It was the same night that Alistair Darling had told him that he was not going to be able to get the Northern Rock. Bank. He was really fed up. We were on Nickel Island together, and he said, "Look, we're going on a pub crawl tonight. Be down at the the dockside at seven o'clock." And I said, "What pub crawl? We're on a, we're on this island in the middle of the Caribbean. What do you mean?" He says, "Just get down there." So we got down there about seven o'clock, and we got on the launch, and then we on, went off on a, on a tour of all the little nooks and crannies around the Virgin Islands that he knew, bars and clubs and places that we went to. We got back about four in the morning and I was absolutely gone by that stage. Uh, and he was pretty well gone as well. But what I admire about him is, his, his, um, you know, the ability to get up the next day, even with a stinking hangover. He was on the beach about half past seven doing his, his sort of sailing exercises. And, and here's me and I couldn't, I couldn't even look. Uh, oh, just A lightweight but, compared to Mr. Uh, Branson. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I like him a lot. I'm very, very personable. And as I say, we played tennis. Um, he's quite nervous. I recorded all my interviews on, on tapes. When I played back to them, he sort of, he ums and ahs a lot. He, um, he's not a great speaker. Uh, and that's probably why he doesn't do a lot of TV stuff, because he's a bit ponderous at, at times when he's thinking about things. He's got this amazing empire that uh, goes through its various phases. I think at the moment it's going through a pretty tough time because of Virgin Atlantic and all the industry on the yeah, ferry industry. Yeah, did, did he not uh, launch um, a cruise liner, uh, the first Virgin cruise liner about this time last year, just as it was all kicking off? And I thought, oh God, that's just, the timing of that must have been devastating. Exactly. I think that's, uh, it's, they're desperate to get that open again. You know, that's, he's big into the hospitality industry. Um, some of his places around the world are really top five star sort of exclusive resorts so he'll be wanting people to get in back there he's got a great place in South Africa um, Ulusaba um, and a great place in Morocco as well so that, you know he wants he needs to get back into that mm. although I, I think by the, he's, he's, he's sort of semi-retired in a, in, a, in a way now I think um, he doesn't really do as much as he, as he, as he did Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there was a terrible going, fire, wasn't there, on the island a few yeah, years that ago? Yeah. That must have been. There was, yeah, that's right. I, I think um, uh, Eve um, was was rescued by, I think, uh, not Gwyneth Paltrow, but somebody like that. I think it was. I think it was Kate Winslet. Yeah, Kate Winslet. That's yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so great fun. Oh great fun. yeah, great stuff. And I mean, when you're ghostwriting a book like that. Um, as you say, it says by Richard Branson. Uh, you know, do you f- ever feel, you know, a little bit well, upset uh, that your name's not emblazoned in the front and you're not getting full glory? No, but, but I know all the jokes in the book are my jokes. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple of times he, he, he he's dyslexic and he referred to 
Bradford and Bingley is Bradley and Bingford. (laughs) And he kept doing that all the way through. And there's another thing. In in the acknowledgements in the book, I thank myself for travelling around the world to meet Richard (laughs) in various places. Um, And I I wrote that acknowledgement thanking me that I went around there. So you get your your moments of fun and and glory in your own way. And actually, as you say, to be right up at the bestsellers list, uh, knowing that actually it was your body of work, albeit he was the subject, uh, must have been a very proud moment. Yes, I think the book launch was great laugh and um, that was in London. And I, and I felt I felt this, although there is a very, there's an element about being a ghostwriter where you just have to step back and realise you've done your bit, you've got your check and you've got to, you've got to move on. You're not there, you know, it's um, you're not there for the glory. You're there to get a job done, and and um, you know that's probably why I've been able to make a living out of it over the last well, twenty years now. And it's you really can you know, you just write the books. You you get on very well with. Well, I get on very well with most of the people, and and I like the. There's one or two people that I had to turn down because I, I felt after you know just a few sessions of saying really the sort of chemistry is not working here and, and really here's your, here's your money back and um, yeah. let's go on and do something else. But I, I um, it's it's a very cathartic thing for a lot of people. I've been writing a book with a Swedish entrepreneur who was um, who has been um, a, a Jehovah's Witness until he was 27. He's nearly 40, and we went on a, a road trip around Sweden with him. And he just at the end of it, he said, "It's just been brilliant to sit and talk to somebody about my life, and who's not, you know, just recording it and asking questions and not judging or anything like that." And it's it's a really it's a very privileged position for me to be in to do that with, with various people. But it's it's good for the the subject as well because they get a chance to actually talk to somebody who's who's listening in depth um, about their issues and their lives and their um, all the problems and. I was going to say well, some of the problems that maybe they, they raise and they say, oh, I've talked too much, please don't use that. Does that come up quite a lot as well? It does, actually. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of personal things that come come through and then you have to sort of negotiate about whether or not you think that should be in the book. And I actually advise people as well when they're speaking to you. Uh, I said, you know, just imagine what that's going to be like when it's in black and white and somebody's reading that. Do you really want them to say that, you know, that guy was a moron or this thing happened or whatever, you know, is that really how you felt? Did you really, you know, so you've got to be very cautious. Uh, and you've also got to make sure that you you put them in their words rather than my words, um, because I've, I've, I've had some great, great laughs over the piece. I was doing um, Barbara Cassani's book and she talked about the Project Hyacinth, which was, um, you know, the, the project for the launch of the airline. And she said that, um, I said, well, that's great. Project Hyacinth, that's probably the Greek mythology, isn't it? We could write that. And she, and she scored it all out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Project Hyacinth from Hyacinth Bouquet on the tele. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Back down to so, earth with a bump. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. All right, okay. So <laughs> but fascinating to get behind the, you know, into the psyche of these people and obviously very successful people. And, and is there something that you noticed an a characteristic that they all have, albeit they very different from different backgrounds, different parts of the world, in common. I think I've written a few books about entrepreneurs, but I've, I've written some other books as well. But entrepreneurs have, have fascinated me because I've actually wondered, you know, how, what makes them tick. And I think that a lot of them, you know, don't really give up. They and then when they, when something comes along that really that you and me or perhaps I feel really down about or. They sort of seem to ride through that very much more easily than other people. 
and there's a determination. Uh, sometimes it can be a, a ruthless determination. And I would say Branson in some ways is, is quite ruthless about what he's done over the years. So there's a ruthless determination um, that sometimes they can sort of turn on friends or colleagues or, or mates in a way that um, is not always nice. And um, I think that is the thing about a lot of entrepreneurs they they get up early. They they don't waste time the way we well, I do anyway. Um, they seem to be more, you know, uh, they're more. Uh, they've got their they've got their their time. Um, driven time, individuals. Yeah, driven driven individuals that got their, uh, their their time management better than, than some of some of the rest but, but of us. They also have this incredible array of people around them. So if Branson comes up with a, a great idea, he knows the go to person who will follow it up and, and progress it. Exactly. It seems to be a, a talented, you know, to have these groups of friends around you must be absolutely amazing. Well, I think it's networks, isn't it? You build up your network. And when I was over uh, doing Branson's book, he had the, the elders conference there and there was the likes of Nelson Mandela and Kofi Annan and all these guys. And one of the funniest stories when I, I was there was um, I was meant to be getting the private jet back from Virgin, um, and from Necker Island back to London. And I was really quite excited about that because I would be the only person going on the private jet. Oh, an experience. And then uh, I got a knock on the, the door saying, oh, sorry, Kenny, you can't get the private jet uh, to take you home. I said, oh, that's a bit of a shame. Why is that? He said, well, cook. Kofi Annan, Kofi Annan needs it. He's going to Kenya to sort out um, a, a oh sort of problems in, in Kenya. So I said, oh, OK, yeah, <laughs> Kofi and I can have the private jet. I'll just make my way home. <laughs> yeah, tell Kofi to stuff it. No, That's this is right. a problem. Chum up to Kofi. I'm coming too. Exactly. Well, I wouldn't yeah. want to go to Kenya. There was a big, there was a, it was a free election. There'd been elections in Kenya and, and there'd been riots and stuff after that. So he had to go. Go there and sort that oh, out. So. Right. Okay. Looking through the titles, Kenny, there's one title that just jumps out, which is uh, Be Silent or Be Killed. Oh, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Okay, that, that was Roger Hunt, um, who is not the footballer from the 1966 World Cup team in England, but uh, Roger Hunt, who was worked um, for the Royal Bank of Scotland, and he was caught in the Mumbai massacres back in 2006. He'd gone out there when Bank of RBS were expanding into India and he'd gone out there as an HR man and he was caught, he was in the Oberoi Hotel and the story is, is quite, um, he he saw people being shot and killed and then he, he, he went into his room and stayed in his room while the gunman went from, from door to door, you know, killing many, many people in, 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 the, in the Mumbai massacres. And he, we, we wrote the book, um, he contacted me, we, I helped him write the book and it was turned into a play, Scottish... Um, Creative Scotland gave us some money and it was a play which we toured around Scotland and it just showed him in his room for for these 20 well, he was he was he was he had, he had his blackberry and he was communicating with Gogelburn back in RBS and telling them what was going on he was saying things like oh god you know I can hear the shooting you know they're three doors away now and then there was a bomb explosion and then the and then it, eventually he didn't know whether or not he was going to get rescued by the the Indian secret service guys, or whether he was going to get done by the, the terrorists. So he was he, he hid behind the bed, and he he did all sorts of things. And actually, Roger's gone on to become uh, he works in the aviation industry again. The theme there, isn't it? He works in the aviation industry, and he and he actually talks about how to deal with yourself in a, that panic situation. And it's interesting because what he did was he didn't touch the minibar. You know, there's water in the minibar and the rooms were sealed in. He couldn't break the glass. He hid behind the, the sofa and he didn't touch the minibar. It saved his life because what happened was the terrorists had gone to the main office, taken control of administration 
And then they'd watch for people tapping into the minibar because the minibar was on a, a button. So as soon as you went into the minibar, you know how it clicks for your wine. So, right, God. So they went from room to room in the minibar and slaughtered the people who had taken the, uh, the, the drink out of the minibar. And that's how they killed a lot of the Western, oh. Western guys. So, I mean, somebody like that, when they're retelling their story and maybe elements of it for the first time, that must be a bit like being on the psychiatrist's couch, really. And it must put you in a position where you may hear things yourself that really would be traumatic to hear, let alone experience. And have you ever been in a point where you've had to say to someone, look, you know, this is something you maybe need to deal with in a different way before we continue with this? That's a good question. Yes, definitely. I was a ghostwriter of a book for a a sea captain from the northeast of Scotland who was Aberdeen captain and um, he was caught by pirates in Nigeria. He was working for the oil industry out there and he was still going through the trauma of having been kidnapped by Nigerian pirates, taken ashore, kept in a jungle area and had, had Kalashnikovs flashed in his face. And when I did the sessions with him, I wrote the, the, the manuscript up for him, delivered it to him. And uh, I think at that stage when he sat and read it again, he, he cried, he cried and cried. And, and it wasn't till two years later, till after he was able to get through the trauma himself that, that, that he actually, he's actually published the book. Mm-hmm. It's been self-published. So you're right that a lot of people, when they start to remember the traumas that have gone through and which drives them. The Irish guy I've just finished writing a book for, two of the, two of the chapters there about how he nearly died from a heart attack and how he was lucky to get to the hospital in Galway in time and all the things that went on in his mind and the pain in his chest as he knew he was dying and he, his heart stopped three times while he was on the on the table. Mm-hmm. And, and and when, when Porek was telling me this story again, the, the sort of tears were, were streaming down his face because maybe I was pressing too much, but you just say, well, you know, how, what did you feel at that stage? How did you... How did you react and, you know, what, what was happening and, you know, who were you thinking about and you know, what were you seeing and you know, what was the pain like? You know, sort of really quite, quite tough questions, I think. Yeah. And I mean, in answering them as well, um, I suppose they have to answer them honestly, because I think the authentic voice in a book is, is very much the reason that people want to read it, isn't it? Because they don't want a glossy version of something. They want that, the real nitty gritty if you like and the, and the emotion behind it so difficult exactly. stuff oh, yeah. I mean the destination space one just on a sort of lighter note I mean yeah, you, okay. you talked about space tourism before really it had come into, into fashion where, where do you see that going do you think it's going to be space. accessible space I think it's going to be accessible though. I say to, to infinity and beyond <laughs> um, I, I don't know I, I think um, it will come down in price um but I, I, I'm not really an expert in the in the current space stuff. I sort of one of the issues that I have to do is you sort of gen up and you become an expert for a while, and then you have to move on again. So I, I've been following SpaceX, and I, and, I, and I'm, I, I was the first person to call Elon Musk the sort of um, the sort of FedEx of space, um, which which is a thing that stuck stuck a bit. And I think there's a little bit of um, you know there's there's a lot of interest in it. And I think the, the Mars landing as well is going to be something that's really that will inspire this next younger generation of 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 people. I mean, I've been fortunate into I've been able to interview two of the of the men that landed on the moon, uh, Buzz Aldrin and and, and John Young. So oh, I wow. spent spent time with with them. John Young sadly died now, but. Buzz Aldrin's still, still around. That's great. What so was you, it like? the original Buzz Lightyear. 
Yeah, the original buzz. Well, it's a, a funny story. I was over in uh, in America. I was in New York. It was Wired magazine. We're having a conference, and I was invited to go over. And in, uh, it was it was just about the time of space tourism. And I I interviewed Branson. I interviewed Philippe Stark. I don't know if actually his father had worked as in aviation. And then I, I interviewed Buzz Aldrin, and I was really really chuffed that I, I managed to interview the three of them all before half past nine in the morning. And I, <laughs> And I met the Daily Express guy and he came and he said, I said, oh, I just can't believe, you know, it's been three this morning, great, great interviews. And he said, ah, yeah, he says, I did the three of them and I did David Bowie on the oh, flight coming over. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, or was it Bowie? You, you had Bowie, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, Bowie, yeah, Bowie, yeah, Bowie, yeah, Bowie, yeah, Bowie, 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 Bowie. So did he live up to your expectations, Mr. Aldrin? No, he was a grumpy old git. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you've interviewed um, people on a, on, a, on a set and there's, you know, there's, there's four or five interviews and, and you have to be number five in the interview of that day. And But that's it. Or ask me another question. I'm yeah. Like, so yeah, I think yeah. Buzz Lightyear was off that day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, an extraordinary yeah. person to, to have spoken to, as you say. I mean, he is probably one of the most famous people in the world, actually. In fact, a lot of the people you've been talking about are. So what's the future, Kenny, because uh, clearly you're going to be in demand. And as you say, you've only got a certain number of hours in the day. How do you decide whose project you're going to, to go for next? Well, I don't know. I think it's, I've never written a novel. I've always written non-fiction stuff. And that's been some... Well, I mean, you must have heard so many stories and and, all, and I suppose many of them don't make the cut because there's only a certain amount of space in, in each story or each book. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that would be. The, uh, I should write a story about Edinburgh in the nineteen seventies uh, and, and, and tell us some more about John Wood's John Wood's stories. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I've, that would be an excellent idea. I've got my little diary here from March nineteen seventy three. I've kept diaries, um, which is which I'd advise anybody out there to do. Any young nineteen sixty eight is the first diary here, and it's got it's got John Wood in the back here. The, the little team. Little team, uh, team mentioned there. He oh, right. there. Isn't that so, great? brilliant dance. Met Dorothy Kidd. I, I don't know if Dorothy Kidd uh, 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 listens into here, but if she does, hello to Dorothy. Kidd. <laughs> it said, it said, graft good. And oh, that's right. That was the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the band. Graft good. That's your review, John. Your that's first review. review. That is perfect. That was it. Yeah, Ainsley Crouch, Paul Houghton, and myself. Ainsley Crouch actually had the the David Bowie Bowie scenario. He had one coloured eye different than the other. Wow. Uh, but he looked like David Cassidy, so they all fancied him. You showed oh, me yeah. a picture of you showed me a picture of yes. Graft. Was e- very easy on the eye. He was Mr. Crouch. Yeah. Yeah, You'd need yeah, to be with a name like that, you know. I think he was Ash glad he wasn't Crouch. called Neil Crouch because he would have been Stan Neil Crouch. He would have been totally confused. That's great. Thanks so much, Kenny. It was a very interesting chat. And uh, yeah, just an insight into the life of a ghostwriter. And a little trip down memory lane for John and Kenny, who obviously spent their very early childhood school days together, which is lovely. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, next time, if we have an extended interview, let us know if it works popping onto the end of this podcast or whether you would prefer a separate uh, standalone episode, which we can certainly do as well. We're learning on the hoof and we're certainly appreciating all of your feedback. So if you have enjoyed it, please subscribe and recommend us to your friends and give us a review. And if you didn't enjoy it, then shh, don't tell anyone. Get in touch with John and Alison on What's the Chat Podcast at gmail.com.